It's so good to see you here today. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to read one scripture there. You know, we've heard a lot of messages I have, and I appreciate every one of them, messages on trials and tribulation and God's faithfulness to bring us through. And this is another one, but it's been something that the Lord had, I believe, showed me that I often miss when I'm going through trials. And I'd like to, to hit on it today just a little bit. I believe God would have us to hear it. But we know the story, and the Israelites are basically pinned between a rock and a hard place, okay? Between Pharaoh's army and a Red Sea. And the Bible says here, and let's look at verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. What a statement. While they're, while they're pinned there, and the sea's on one side, they got all their little ones with them and their cattle and all their stuff with them, and they're pretty much a sitting duck for Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and horses and soldiers. And, and Moses says, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you this day. And so, he says, these Egyptians, you're going to see them no more again forever. And you know that it came to pass exactly like God said. Would you say that was a trial and tribulation? Absolutely, it was a trial. That particular one was short-lived. There's another occasion where, where the Amalekites in the wilderness came out and fought against, fought against uh, the Israelites and caught them off guard, basically. They came out to fight against them and didn't show any mercy at all to them. And Moses, we know the story, held up his hands. He says, Joshua, choose you out some men, and in the morning I want you to go out and fight against the Amalekites, and I'm going to stand up on the mountain and, and hold my hands up. And he had his staff, which was represented the power of God. It represented the miracles of God. It's the same staff he smote the water and then it turned to blood and uh, so forth. So he says, I'm going to hold my staff up. And he did, and as he did, the Israelites prevailed. When he got tired, though, after a long day, his arms began to get heavy. And, and uh, Aaron and Hur, his brothers, set a rock under him and said, sit here, Moses. And one got on each side and held up his arms. We know the story. And as long as he held up his arms, Israel prevailed. When his arms got, went down, Amalek prevailed. But he held up his arms, and they stayed his arms, it says, until the going down of the sun. And Israel won a great victory. And then the Bible tells us, uh, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. God wants us to remember those miracles and we have a Bible filled with them. Uh, probably some of our most precious passages that we think of and Bible stories that we go to to remind us are these big miracles of God. And we should do that. We see all through the Word of God and we see it, we see it in our own lives as well the mighty power of God to deliver His people. And we read it in His Word. And the Bible says in the New Testament that these things were written about Israel and their history for our admonition and for our examples upon whom the ends of the, the world have come. Account after account of God's faithfulness and uh, His awesome acts and His works of salvation, Him intervening on behalf of His people. And He is a deliverer. Amen? He's a deliverer. We saw God deliver Israel time and time again. And I'll just uh, read this Scripture to you. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but we had this sentence of death in ourselves. You know, we took communion this morning representing what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of what He did, right? And the life that He's given us. And we sing the songs about the blood and the salvation that we have through His blood. But He says, Paul said, we had, past tense, this sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us. This is what He's done for us. We looked at Israel's deliverance or a couple accounts of it. Who delivered us from so great a death. You know, the Bible says our salvation is so great a salvation, but the death sentence that was upon us was great as well. He delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver. I love that because it covers all three. You know, past tense, He delivered us. We're, uh, he does deliver. He's still delivering us today. And we're trusting in the future that He will yet deliver. And we saw it with Israel. We see it in our own lives. And... We know that God can do these miracles, but sometimes we're, we're waiting though, right? A lot of times we're waiting. We know He can do the big miracle. We know He can part the Red Sea. But a lot of our, our lives are spent in that waiting stage. A lot of our time is spent as believers waiting and hoping, right? I'm talking about hoping with, with faith in God and true joyful expectancy. We know He can do it still. We're saying, God, please do it still, right? You can do it. We know you can. We read in your word that you parted the Red Sea and the Israelites came across on dry, dry land and all their enemies were drowned in a moment. You know, the Bible says that the Lord blew with His breath all night. Okay, so all this happened really quick. That, that, that particular deliverance, okay? He blew with His breath all night and parted the Red Sea and dried the ground under that, that so that Israelites passed all... Uh, I don't know how many Bible scholars vary from a million and a half to three million Jews passed through the Red Sea in one night. The Egyptians, and they get safely to the other side. The Egyptians, because uh, God had blocked the Egyptians' way with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And then so they tried to, to pursue after the, the Hebrews and they get out into the midst of the sea and God uh, lets the sea cover them back over and they drowned. That happened really fast. I may say fast in the sense of a day, okay? A night and a day, however long it took. It didn't take long at all. And we're saying, God, you can do it like that. You can do it suddenly. You can do it miraculously. And guess what? We've seen things that we would say in our, our lives were as dramatic as, or as special as, and amazing as what God did there. We know He can do it, and we're asking Him to do it now, perhaps. I want you to read in the Bible, because this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, turn to Isaiah 64. Now, now, this is later in the history of Israel, and the Israelites were in a great uh, strait. Specifically in Judah is what we're looking at. And Isaiah was this prophet of God. Many believe he was a priest as well. I'm not sure, but he was a prophet of God. And the Assyrians were the world power at this time, and they had uh, taken over one country after another with no problem at all. And they, actually the king of, of Assyria and their people mocked the other countries and mocked the other gods of their countries, whatever little idols that they worshipped, because they just plowed through them like Hitler rolling through you know, some country that couldn't defend itself. And they just went and mocked up these country after country. Then they come to Israel, and they begin to mock the God of Israel. 
And they begin to read this letter from the king in the ears of the people. And they besiege the city. And they've been surrounded. And they're starving to death. And they're actually, uh, it had been so harsh and so horrible to siege that the people were, had turned to cannibalism. They'd eaten all the animals. I'm talking horses, dogs, donkeys, everything that died. Uh, it was miserable and it, and it was a horrible situation. And on top of that, the Assyrians are mocking the God of Israel, saying, Your God is no God. These other gods didn't help their nations, and your God's not going to help you. Well, this comes to the ears of King Hezekiah. He takes it before the Lord in prayer. Hezekiah's bringing it before the Lord in prayer. And I want you to see this in Isaiah 64. We're going to read 1 through 5. This is what we're going to talk about today. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thy adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, Men have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, and those is continuance, and we shall be saved. There's a plea from the man of God. There's a plea here that I think would be similar probably if we were honest a lot of times in our lives. You know what he's saying? We understand the situation, the circumstances that they were in. And he's saying, oh, that you would rend the heavens now. That you tear the heavens and just step out of heaven. That God Almighty would just step down in all of your power and all of your might and just put these enemies to shame. Deliver us. Help us. And he says, we know you've done it before. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, he knew the history of Israel. We just looked at a couple of things, right? Moses, write this in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. We want it to be a memorial for the children of Israel. We have the Word of God. Isaiah had the Word of God in these things. In the Bible, we know that Isaiah believed God could do this. We need to believe that God can do these things in our lives as well. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. You see the desperation. God, we need you to just step down and do one of those big-time, amazing miracles that we know you can do and only you can do it. And we read about. We read about the sea party. Anybody in the situation in their life right now, you don't have to tell me what it is. In your heart, you say, I'm in a situation right now where to me, it's as dramatic as that. It's as desperate as that. I need you to step down, God, and show yourself to be God. I need you to rend the heavens. I need you to put my enemies to flight. I need you to deliver me. I need this supernatural help, not just the everyday help of God, which we receive. And I thank the Lord for it. But these notable miracles. You know, when, when Mary and Martha were wailing and weeping and mourning at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, who they loved and Jesus loved, the Bible tells us that, uh, that they were... They were crying there, and the Lord says to Martha specifically, said I not unto you that if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God. They were going to see that. They were going to see the Red Sea part for them that day. Because God was going to speak with a loud voice. They, in simple obedience, rolled the stone away. 
and said, Lazarus, come forth. They got to see it with their own eyes. The God of miracles that they had heard about, that they have read about, we need you to come through for us now. It cannot just be a story in the Bible. I need you, and I need you that way. I need you in a big way to be a big God for me. And He is that. We know that God can part the Red Sea. We know that He can rend the heavens today. But you know what? In honesty, in all honesty, and, and God does not rend the heavens every day in that sense. And I'm not trying to, to bring any discouragement. I'm saying that God does not... We have the notable miracles in the Bible. The big ones. The really big ones where a whole nation is delivered. Okay? He tends to us and cares for us every day. He provides for us every day. He guides us every day. He comforts our hearts every day. But if we're honest, when we look at the Bible and we look at our own lives, we see there's a long period sometimes. Not always, but many times, a majority of the time is spent waiting for that big miracle. Now, all the time we're waiting, God is with us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's taking care of us. Uh, but there's a lot of time spent waiting where the nation may be praying for revival. And it hasn't happened for years yet. But the nation is still, maybe the Christians in the nation are praying for that. Or a nation is praying for deliverance. And we look at, at uh, Israel, for example. They prayed and cried to God for deliverance. And the Lord told Moses at the burning bush, I've heard the cries of my people. That means they were crying by reason of their affliction and the reason of their taskmasters. And I've seen their affliction and I have come down to deliver them. And basically, Moses, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use you to do it. You're going to be my point man. You're going to be the leader through whom I you mediate to these people. The work of God, the will of God, the, the law that was going to be given. But you understand the deliverance came quickly. You know, that series of miracles, I honestly don't know. You know the plagues, the, the water turning to blood, and the frogs and the flies and the lice and all that. I don't know how long a period that was. I have a feeling it was just a matter of days or maybe weeks. I don't think it was a long period of time. And then the Passover night, the very first Passover, right? That happened literally in one night. So after all this leading up to it, the notable miracle of the Passover, that happened in one night. They had their feet, their shoes on their feet. They obeyed the Lord. They put the blood, which represents the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb. They put it over. The angel of death passed over and no one was harmed in those houses. All the firstborn of Egypt died from the slaves to, the, to Pharaoh himself. And they came out with, the Israelites came out with the mighty high hand of God in one night. But yes, guess what? Yeah, it was over 400 years they were groaning and praying. A lot of people lived and died in that time. And that's just the point that I made. It's not a depression. It's, it's something that the Lord would have us to see that there is an in-between time. And probably if we looked at our lives, a great majority of our time may be spent in that waiting period, but we're to wait with hope. And, and there's a difference. You can wait and just be miserable and going out of your mind. Have you ever done that? Wait in a doctor's office, wait in a DMV for your driver's license. Right? When something, uh, where you're waiting and you're going out of your mind waiting, but to wait on the Lord is different because it's a waiting of faith. It's a joyful expectancy. That's what the, hope, the word hope means. And we're to have hope in God. And for the, the rapture of the church, for example, 
the Bible says that looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of us are waiting for the rapture. We probably forget about it a lot of times even because we're so caught up in the day-to-day routine of life. But the rapture is going to happen. And when the rapture happens, it's going to be very suddenly. Uh, sudden. It's going to happen suddenly. It's not going to be any more delay. When it happens, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, at the last trump, the trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly, like the Passover night. One night they came out. One day the Red Sea parted and they came through, and in the same night their enemy was drowned. Very quickly, when God does the miracle, but there's a lot of time waiting, because the Bible says that it was the blessed hope for the church in Paul's day who wrote that, looking for the blessed hope, the rapture. Okay, In Revelation, it's John's hope. Because he says the very last couple of Scriptures in the whole Bible, it says, um, He that testified of these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. John was saying, come now. Did Jesus come in the rapture in John's day? No, He did not. But He was waiting with a joyful hope and an expectancy that He would come. He wasn't a fool to believe what he believed. He was told to look for that coming and to live looking for that coming. So he died before the rapture came. Was he wrong? No, he wasn't wrong. Because the Bible says looking for that blessed hope. It could, Jesus could have come in John's day. There's nothing preventing him other than the perfect timing of God, which no man knows, not even the Son, but the Father. I don't understand that. It's a mystery to that. But he's going to say it's time and Jesus will come. So we're not wrong to wait for that. We're not wrong to wait. Uh, I mean, we're not wrong to uh, to wait for the rapture and then, oh, we died before it came so we were just foolish Christians. No, we're told to wait. And we're told to wait with hope and expectancy, for example. So we're waiting on the big notable miracles of God. And most of our lives is spent waiting on that, but yet God is sustaining us and filling us with His joy and working, working to make us more like Jesus Every day, we know He can rend the heavens. We're praying that He should. We should pray that He does. Do the notable miracle. Do the big thing. Bring revival to America. Pray for the big things, okay? But trust God in the meantime while you're waiting. He didn't let you down. He didn't let me down. He's teaching me something while I'm waiting. He's teaching me something. He's teaching you something. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. We don't want to hear that, do we? But if you really know your Bible and read through the Bible, you see it. The godly men and women, the godly people, all through the Bible, right up to our day, the church, the early church, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Everyone, every single affliction of the righteous, every one we will be delivered from. Well, you say, well, I'm waiting on mine now. Amen. Well, wait. Wait on it and wait with hope and wait with expectancy and trust in God. Most of our days are spent uh, looking forward to that. And God, God is teaching us something. You know, and this is pretty much what this thought is or this message, message is for today. That God hears those prayers. You're praying, God, I need you to rend the heavens. Okay? That's a phrase I'm using for those notable miracles. God, I need you to rend the heavens like Isaiah prayed. And even while we're waiting, He answers and helps and provides and sustains and guides and comforts us constantly. The Bible says He daily, who daily loadeth us with benefits. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Daily loads us down with benefits. 
We're just, thank you, Lord. His grace, His mercy, His health, His, His faith gives us a gift of faith. He daily loads us with benefits. But God has purposed in His wisdom, and it is through the wisdom of God, to teach and to grow and to train His people through these trials and afflictions. The Bible says that God has chosen through the fire, fires of affliction to purify and refine His people. That's God's choosing. And that's God's way. And that is what this message is about today. We know God can rend the heavens. We know He can part the sea. When the deliverance comes, it can come quickly. It is supernatural because it's of God. And He can do it quickly. And, and yet, a lot of our lives are waiting on that to happen. As believers, in the will of God, right where we're supposed to be. God didn't fail us. He hasn't let us down. You know what? I need to take a step back and see. God is teaching me something. I'm not, I've not perfected this, by the way. Not by a long shot. But to take a step back and say, okay, I'm still praying for this same thing. It's big to me. It's very big to me. And I need, to, I need God to be big for me. I know we can do it. God, I read it in Your Word. I'm praying that You would do it. I'm praying by faith, believing that You can do it and will do it. And I haven't seen it yet. And God may want me to take a little step back from myself and my circumstance and say, what are You trying to teach me, God? Because that's where the real rubber meets the road. That's really what God's trying to do. Could He rend the heavens 24-7? Absolutely. He can do every miracle for us before it's out of our mouth. He knows that we have need of before we even ask Him, the Bible says. And yet, a lot of these big things we're waiting on, we're still waiting on. He's trying to teach us. I look at it like the trials and afflictions of life are maybe just even the mundane, normal you know, buffetings and stuff that we get in life. That, that being God's training ground. Just like He's got us in His school. He's got us in His training ground. Right now, and this is where he's trying to teach us. Can he rend the heavens and come down in a moment and scatter our enemies and lift us up out of there? Absolutely. Pray that he does. Keep praying that he does. But also, pray that he will teach us and give us a teachable spirit. God, it's time for me to wise up. Okay, I'm already your child. I know you love me. I'm born again, but I need to get what you're trying to teach me here. If I'm in your school, I want to learn. If I'm still in first, first grade, I need to get to second grade. And I say it all the time with the Lord. He doesn't graduate you from first grade to second grade until you're ready. Or until I'm ready. I'm, the, I'm, the, whole, I'm the, uh, the hindrance to it. I'm the limit or the limitation to it. I think we can grow very fast. We can almost grow as fast as we want to as we yield to the Lord and submit to Him in everything. He can move us along really quick and He can move, move you along a lot further than people that might have been saved longer than you. He can move us along as we submit to Him and yield to Him and learn what He's trying to teach us. There are a lot of sorrows in, in our lives. And again, this is not to bring depression. It's just a reality. Just open your Bibles and read it. What was Hezekiah, I mean, what Hezekiah and Isaiah going through and the people? There were people, women that were... Uh, a woman was crying and saying, Help, King. And Hezekiah said, What ailing you, woman? This is why they were besieged. And locked up and starving to death. He says, well, we, a woman and I, my child died and we boiled him and ate him yesterday. And she said we were going to eat her child today, but she hid her child from me. I guess he was still living. The point is, this is what was going on. It was horrible. 
These weren't savages. These were the people that were in a horrible strait and a horrible situation. That was what was taking place in Isaiah. Say, rend the heavens. Hezekiah saying, show yourself to be God. He would, by the way. We're going to read the deliverance that came. But my point is that there are sorrows in our lives, great and small, medium sizes. Like I said, there's the, the great persecutions that come against our lives. There's buffetings where we're just buffeted and knocked around a little bit by the God of this world or co-workers or people that don't know Jesus or fellow students or professors or whatever it may be that don't believe in the Lord. And we're just buffeted by just trials and cares and tribulations of life. And again, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He's going to do that. And there's much to be learned in this time. And we need to learn patience. I want to read this. Uh, I'll just read it from Hebrews chapter 10. Cast not away therefore your confidence. That's our faith in God, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. After you've done the will of God afterwards, you might receive the promise. The promise is still legit. It's real. It's coming. If God promised it, you can count on it. You can book it. You can base your whole life upon it. If He spoke it and promised it to you, like the gift of eternal life, you're going to have eternal life. We have it now in Christ. But He says, after you've done the will of God that you might receive the promise. So there's an after. There's a waiting. There's an in-between time. And He says, you have need of patience. That's what the author is saying. I believe it's Paul writing to the persecuted church in, the, in that day. You have need of patience. And we have need of patience. We need endurance. We need to trust God despite our circumstances. When the city is besieged and people are eating horses and eating all the kinds of stuff because uh, they're starving to death, that we would still trust the Lord. Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. It's an amazing statement He makes there. Though he slain me, I'm still going to, I'm going to trust the one who kills me if he would do that. I'm still going to, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Israel, Israel, y'all, was delivered mightily and came out in one night. But that deliverance, as I said, came after 400 years. So what would you say would have been the normal day in and day out? The normal day in and day out would have been crying out to God. God heard. He did answer. He answered in His time. But a lot of their lives were lived crying out to God for deliverance, right? Uh, we see it over and over in the Bible. We see Deborah. If you Are you familiar with the book of Judges and read through? That's the pattern. It's just exactly like this. That people would turn to God and He would bless them. And then they would turn to idols and disobey God and cast God behind their backs. Every man... Judges is a book where every man did what was right in their own eyes. Okay? They cast God behind their back and they started worshiping idols and whatever these other foreign gods that were around them. And guess what? When they did that, God turned them over. He didn't totally abandon them. Israel is still the apple of God's eyes. Okay? But He would turn them over to their enemies. And then we would read about a judge like Samson who would come or deliver them from the Philistines. But Deborah and Barak, for example were used by God to defeat the Canaanites and the king of the Canaanites. That was after 20 years of oppression and servitude. We just read about, oh, the great miracle in Deborah and Barak and they sang a song and it was all wonderful when it was over with. But for 20 years, they were under oppression of these people crying out to God for deliverance. We read about Gideon and his 300 
against the Midianites who were like grasshoppers. You couldn't count so there were so many. 300 men against the Midianites and God gives a miraculous victory and delivers them from the Midianites. That was after seven years of servitude. My point is simply this, that they were to cry out to God and trust Him, but there's something He's trying to teach me in the middle of it. Joseph in the Old Testament, sold by his brothers in slavery. I don't know exactly the amount of time, but some Bible scholars say it could have been as long as 20 years from the time his brothers sold him as a slave to the time he was promoted as prime minister and he saw his brothers in face-to-face. Okay, so how long did it take for Joseph to go from being in the prison, all dirty and sneaky in prison in the dungeon, to becoming prime minister of Egypt? That happened in one day. That blows my mind. It's exciting to me. Only God could take somebody from a dungeon sitting there like this one minute to literally within a course of maybe a few hours being the prime minister of Egypt. Who could do that? It's amazing. But how much time was spent leading up to that? The Bible says they hurt him, hurt Joseph with irons and fetters until iron came into his soul. The Word of God tried him, it says in the Psalms. He was being tested. He was being tried. The miracle happened like that. The, the in-between time was a long time where you know he's... We don't read about it, but you know he's crying out to God. Lord, He gave me these dreams. He gave me these visions. My people are going to bow down to me and my family are going to bow down to me. And I trust you and I believe you. I know you can do it, but I'm in a prison. I'm in a slave and now I'm in prison. And so he's crying out to God. There's something the Lord is wanting to teach us. You know, it says in Hebrews in that hall of fame of faith, all those that dies, it's, it, and it says, these all died in the faith not having received the promise. Well, were they failures or did God fail them? Not at all. They died how? In the faith. And that's how you want to die. These all died in the faith not having received the promise because God had some better plan of bringing all the church together and rapturing us together and so forth. God didn't let them down because they lived all their lives with hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Well, He took them before they received the promise. They're still going to receive the promise that He promised them. Heaven, the rapture, new body. Walking on streets of gold. Walking where there's no sin or temptation of sin. Eternal life around the throne of God worshiping the Lord. They're not being sawn asunder. They're not wandering destitute in caves and being thrown to the lions in the lion's den. They're walking with God. God came through on His promise. There's a lot of in-between time though. That's all I'm saying. Believe God for the miracles. Call out to Him for the miracles. Ask Him to rent the heavens. Do that. But also see what is He trying to teach me because they haven't rent yet. I'm still going through this trauma. My children are still away from God. This is still happening in my life. We could name what it is. And these days of waiting are extremely important. You back up and look at the Bible and really see it. It's extremely, they're extremely important to the Lord. They're extremely important to the people of God. And I think that's one truth a lot of times we, maybe it's just me, but we pass over and we say, do it, God. Do it now. You can do it. I have the faith to believe. Why aren't you doing it? I believe you can do it. Because you have need of patience, he's saying, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And James gives the same example that be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. You know, the husbandman waits for the former, the first rain, the last rain, and, and so forth. You be patient as well. You have to wait for it because it's the fullness of time. It's the fullness of God's time. 
And one thing he's trying to teach us, y'all, and this is what I want to bring to the end of this message today. The Lord is trying to teach me when I go through a trial, I believe He's trying to teach all of us His way. God has a way about it. He has a means. He has a, His ways. Okay? And just listen to this Scripture. Let's turn to it. Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. That's two different things, isn't it? I know you've heard this before. But still, He made his known His ways unto Moses. Think about all the children of Israel. So that's Joshua and Caleb and Moses. They all, Moses, they all died how? In unbelief. In the wilderness. Did not inherit the promised land. We've talked a lot about that in recent months. But it says Moses, He made known His ways unto Moses. His acts unto the children of Israel. So what is He saying? All the children of Israel saw His acts. They saw manna come down from heaven every day. Right? Wow, this is awesome. Didn't have to work for it. Got food every day. Just got to pick up enough for the day. Tomorrow, hey, it's there again. This is awesome. There was a rock that followed them in the wilderness. That rock is Jesus, the Bible says. And out of that rock came water. Enough for all their cattle and all themselves and all of them wherever they went. And God sent that and provided for them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They saw the acts of God. They saw the Red Sea part and the army behind them drown. They saw that, but He made known His ways unto Moses. And I think there's a lot to be said there. The word ways means course of life. That just seems like a simple word, ways. What's the big deal? I looked it up. It says His course of life, His mode of action, His custom, His manner. God made known His manner, His custom, His course of life to His man Moses. This is how it worked, Moses. This is how I am. This is how I'm gracious. This is how I am. This is me. This is how, what I'm doing. The children of Israel just saw the big bling bling. The Red Sea part. Thunder and lightning come down on the mountain. And they heard a voice that thundered and they backed off and got scared. And then they saw manna come down. Wow, this is good of God. Then later, they're not trusting God. They're making golden calves and worshiping and want to go back to Egypt. But God made known His ways unto Moses, his course of life, his manner, his custom. And this is what God wants us to see. He wants us to see his custom of life. The Bible says, David says in the psalm, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. David knew that. So even if some affliction was coming to David's life, he said the Lord's righteous in all his ways. How did he know that? He didn't read it from another psalmist. He wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knew that because like Moses, God had shown him His ways. He got it. He sought after the Lord. He wanted to know that. That's not a special privilege uh, just for Moses and David. That's for any child of God that will seek after the Lord and say, make known your ways to me, God. What are you teaching me? I'm crying out for the heavens to rent and they hadn't rent yet. I need you to step down on the cloud of glory and destroy my enemies and I need you to do it, God, and you haven't done it yet. But the Lord's saying, I want to teach you my ways. And you say, Lord, show me your ways. Right? I want you to show me. I want you to show me. We're, we're, we're waiting on the Red Sea to part and it hadn't parted yet, but it's not wasted time. It's not downtime. It's not wasted time. It's not just, I wish this was over time. There's something constructive 
miraculous, in fact, that God wants to do. And guess what? He can only do it through that time. By rending the heavens today, it would rob me of learning His ways and what He's trying to teach me. I need to get that. I need to believe that and I need to understand it. I want to read this just to see. God did answer the cries of Hezekiah and Isaiah. If you're, if you're taking notes, it's 2 Kings 19.32-35. This is when the Syrians had besieged Judah and there were such dire straits. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. There's a period there. He's not going to do it. He's told you he is. He's the king of Assyria. He's told you all his plans, what he's going to do. God says he's not coming in this city. He's not. He's not going to set a foot in this city. He's going to turn around and go back the same way he came. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night, don't you love it? That the angel of the Lord went out, and what did the angel of the Lord do? And smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. So with the people starving to death, the king and the prophet and probably others crying out to God for deliverance. Oh, we're in the heavens. God, you gotta rend the heavens. We need you now, God. We can't get any lower than we are. It says that night it came to pass. The angel of the Lord smote. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. It's, who but God? We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. It's been a long time. We're starving. This is desperate. It's not one day. It's not one week. It's not one month. It's going a long, a long time. But when God moves, He moves. And He moved. They woke up in the morning and they're probably depressed about another day under this captivity, and they look up and all of them are dead. They're just laying out there dead. They didn't have to lift a sword or bow and arrow or you know, slingshot, nothing. God did it. And He does it. And He can do it again. And Isaiah's plea was answered. And Hezekiah's plea was answered. It doesn't happen every day though. He did that one time in that era. You see what I'm saying? In, in those people's lifetimes. But it's through the daily grind, I would call it. And we're bringing this to a close. It's through the, the daily uh, buffetings and trials and sorrows and little heartaches and medium-sized heartaches and sicknesses and you know doing without financially here and there. And, and, and you just, it's not everything. You're not writing your own ticket and it's not just how you would want it to be. Every day is not a zippity-doo-dah day, right? It's, it's you're going through life and God has it planned exactly like it is. And Paul, Paul and Silas were not delivered at midnight from a, a Philippian jail every night at midnight. Right? By an earthquake that God sent and the door sprung open and they came out and even the jailer and his family got saved. What could be better than that? But he also died in prison, didn't he? He spent the last several years of his life in prison in Rome and then beheaded for his, his testimony for Christ. So there's a lot of time when it's not being delivered by a miraculous deliverance of God. He's trying to teach Paul something in that. 
And Paul said then in his life, I know whom I believe. I'm persuaded he's able to keep all that I've committed unto him against that day. Guess what? He showed Moses his ways. He showed Paul his ways. He showed David his ways. And we want him to show us our ways. The trials and tribulations are going to come. Lots of them. And God's deliverance is going to come. Greatly. But He's wanting us to learn what He wants us to learn. I'm close with a quote and then two Scriptures. A.W. Tozer said, You and I are not always satisfied with the manner in which God deals with us. We would very much like God to do something new, something different, different something big and dramatic. Right? Very much God wants to do that. And He can, okay? But we are called back. We're called back to the simplicity of the faith and the simplicity of Jesus Christ. That we come back. Don't stop believing God for the miracles. He's a God of miracles. I hope you don't come away with that from this sermon today. What we are coming away with as well is that we're drawn back to the day in, day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, getting up, brushing your teeth, going to work, getting tired, staying up, studying, all that stuff, not getting an A in your test, but you got a B or a C, not getting the raise you wanted, it was a lot less, and all that kind of stuff going on. And yet, we're called, we're called to learn of God and trust Him. Take my yoke and learn of me. There's a yoke there. He says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've got to be yoked together with, by faith with Jesus in Christ, and He teaches us and He shows us. So wonderful uh, scripture where David says, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. And then he goes on to write Psalm 119, where you see he goes, It's good that I've been afflicted. Because before I was afflicted, I went astray. The Lord in his faithfulness has afflicted me. And we see that over and over again. Last scripture I want to read is from Romans chapter 2, verse 7. It says, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Uh, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. In other words, the reward that's coming for those who by patient continuance. It means you've got to stay after this thing for a while. He might rapture us today. He might not rapture us in any of our lifetimes. But we're to live as though He is. And while I'm waiting, I'm to wait with a patient continuance in well-doing. That's what it says in Romans 2.7. And the reward for those that do that is a glory and honor, immortality, and eternal life. God's going to bless us with that. He's going to reward us with that. I believe it's a great value in the Lord's eyes, these training grounds, these testings of God that we're in. There's a great benefit at the end of it. We look at the big, the part in the Red Sea, and the big David killing Goliath with a slingshot. Wow. I look at that too. But God looks at that, but He looks at making the man David a man after His own heart. And making Moses the most humble man on the face of the earth. He said there's not another one like Him. On the whole planet, there's not another man as meek and humble as Moses. He has to do that in our lives. And He does it through trials and adversities and afflictions day in and day out. Pray today, Lord, show me Your ways. I need deliverance and You need deliverance. Our nation needs deliverance, right? 
Well, pray for that and believe for that and ask God to teach you while you're waiting. I want you to stand with me, if you would. Psalmist says, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. We're in this for a long haul. Okay? Walk uprightly before the Lord. Trust God. And then let's ask Him to show us His ways and teach us while we're waiting. So Father, we just come before You. And y'all, these altars are open. Find You a place. Meet with God. I know we're cramped, but this is too important. Find a place. Kneel down. Turn around. Go in one of these rooms behind me. Find that place and meet with the Lord. And before we go eat and do all that we're going to do this afternoon, can we take this time to take the Word that we've heard and not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word and say, Lord, do this in me, specifically and personally in my life. Wherever I'm lacking in this, patience, would You help me? Wherever I'm lacking in faith to believe You, help me. If I'm disgruntled or complaining or murmuring because the miracle's been long in coming and I haven't seen it yet, would You forgive me and help me to trust You? But Lord, in the midst of all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God, would You teach me Your ways? Show me Your ways, O Lord. Like You showed Moses. Like You showed the Apostle Paul. Would You teach us, God, we'd be more mature in the faith, more mature in Christ. And our trials wouldn't be wasted trials. They wouldn't be heartaches only and hardships only. There would be heartaches and afflictions in the hand of God. And you're the potter and you're taking great care to fashion and form that clay to be a vessel of honor that you want it to be. And you're choosing to do it through the fiery furnace of affliction, God. Oh Lord, we don't want to waste our trials. Teach us, Lord. Show us. Let us see the heart of God in it all. Let us see the hand of God. Let us see the goodness of God. David said I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Lord, we want to see Your goodness and know You're a good God with a good heart, Lord. To see Your ways and how You work. May Your acts known to the Israelites, but Your ways to Your man Moses. God, show us Your ways, Lord. Teach us and grow us, Lord. Find that place, y'all. Call out to the Lord. Let Him deal with your heart for just a moment.